Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark. Now, a part of The Athletic, the app and the website and the sports subscription publication. If you missed the previous episode with Ben Standig that I did earlier this week, I'm recording this one on a mid-afternoon on Friday, October 4th. If you did miss the episode I did earlier this week, I talked about on that episode how there's going to be a little bit of a change in the format for this year's podcast. Now, if you're subscribed to Wizards After Dark on iTunes right now, just stay subscribed. You'll be fine. But it's also now going to be part of The Athletic, and there will be extra episodes, bonus episodes that are going to run behind the paywall on The Athletic. If you subscribe to The Athletic, you will get those. If you're already a subscriber, you don't have to do anything. Just go to where you listen to your podcasts on The Athletic, on the app, or whatever it is, and uh, Wizards After Dark will be right there, and you'll be able to find it. No problem. Uh, It's not happening this week. I believe it's going to be a few weeks before stuff starts going up behind the paywall. I think they're figuring out everything on that end, but for now, just know, stay subscribed to this. If you're not a subscriber and you just happen to be randomly listening to this, subscribe to this. It's free if you subscribe to the iTunes, uh, the iTunes feed, and then you can get it behind the paywall as well. Okay, basketball stuff. I'm doing two episodes this week, and I'm going to do two episodes next week, and so on and so forth, because it's actual basketball season, and I'm talking into a microphone for a minute and a half to start a podcast episode, and I have not introduced my guest. I haven't even introduced myself. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and on the Skype line, former guest, a guest of, I think, literally every podcast I've ever hosted, all four of them, Sam Vecini. Fred. I'm so glad that you asked me to join this every time. I mean, it's just great to catch up with you every single time. Well, I've been on yours. You've been on mine. We just trade each other for podcast. That's all this is. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to talk to you, and I really enjoy uh, trying to come up with ridiculous things with you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that we're going to have some fun. My dog is here. She's just laying out on the chase lounge, all five pounds of her. So Penny's ready. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's do it. Good. If there's barking in the background, I'm not going to edit it out. Not because I even think it's good podcasting, just because I don't care enough. Penny, Penny I'm the not going through it. She's she's a very docile dog. Uh, if she sees someone come up on my roof, because I am uh, podcasting with you from uh, gorgeous Hollywood, California, and uh, she sees someone come out on the roof where I am, then she might give us a quick little bark. But nonetheless... I think we'll be okay. Good. We'll get some nap sounds. Yeah, I mean, today. So you know what? I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done on this podcast before. I'm going to plug my Instagram right now because Ooh. because I'm like a I'm like a millennial and not even a millennial. What's the one after, What's the one younger than millennial? Oh, I don't know. I don't keep track of these things. Is it Gen Z or is that before us? I'm not good with generations. Yeah, I, I, this is one of those topics that I can't even come close to uh, having an expertise in. I, I, I can tell you about every single young basketball player in the NBA. Uh, I cannot tell you about uh, labels for ages. So I'm I'm a millennial who who genuinely is passionate about making fun of millennial things, and I really enjoy like making fun of a millennial thing or making fun of someone for being a millennial on social media and then riling up the millennials because there is no group more fun to troll than the millennials. And so I'm basically going to have an ultimate millennial or, 
or Gen Z moment. Es- essentially, I'm I'm just doing what like my my younger cousin does. Now I'm gonna plug my Instagram because I'm gonna say number one, I am planning on being more more active on Instagram this year, which is another insanely disappointingly millennial thing to say. But there's stuff on there from today. The Wizards did a surprise practice at a local high school, Baloo High School in the southeast in D.C. And it was so great, man. It was awesome. Like, the the guys were so good with the kids. The kids were so, like, you just come to school on a Friday and it turns out the Wizards are there practicing and everybody gets out of class to go watch in the gym. Like, it was it was so great. It was so lighthearted. Bradley Beal was emceeing shooting contests for the kids when they were done with their open practice. They were all dancing with the kids. Like, it was it was great. Uh, all the guys there were just – everyone seemed to be having a great time. I, I had a blast just taking videos of different wizards dancing with all the kids, and I, I put it up. So if, if Yeah, wanna... I, saw, I saw the Jamario Jones one. Jamario Jones uh, out there dancing was pretty great. And, like – Part part of this whole thing is, too, I think that oftentimes, like, the culture of an organization uh, and of, like, a team often goes, flows top down, right? So Bradley Beal, obviously, is known around the league as just one of the utterly elite human beings around the league, right? And, and I think that whenever you have that guy at the top who's, you know, just so accommodating with kids, with whoever is speaking to him at the time, it's just going to trickle down, trickle down to the rest of the team. And, like, you get situations like that where they're at this high school and spending all the time in the world with kids. So I wanted to have you on today for two reasons. Number one, because you wrote an article about the Wizards today, which we will talk about, part of your series, kind of ranking not necessarily the quality of teams, but the quality of of where organizations are at with their young players and, and what they can do to improve them in the future. You had the Wizards 27th out of 30. We're going to talk about that. But that's the second reason, not quite great. honestly. <laughs> when, not great. Not ideal. When, when I have somebody on who writes a story about the wizards and they are my colleague and that is the second most important reason that i'm having them on then you know the first reason must be very dire and more so than an nba writer more so than a prospect expert or just a diehard basketball person you're a gambling degenerate and so oh (laughs) hardcore like and full full stop um I'm gambling on sports basically uh, every day of my life. Um, I would say at some point today, I haven't bet on baseball yet today. I will probably bet on baseball later today. Good. Bet on my Yankees tonight. Uh, Yeah, I could do that maybe. We'll see. Who's starting for the Yankees tonight? I actually don't even know. Ah! He's been good, man. That's a little He's been really good, but that's a little bit of a worry against the Twins. Two fifty one lefty against going lefty against one ERA. I know. Well, the Twins lineup is ridiculous, but two fifty one ERA his last twelve starts of the regular season. He's been really good. Great, great strikeout numbers. He's a good pitcher. But the Twins lineup, man, is so good. Anyway, nobody here, nobody here cares about baseball. I care about baseball. I love baseball. They care about the Nationals. That's true, but the Nationals got. Got donutted last night in Los Angeles. Uh, I want to talk about gambling. 
because the Wizards, not even the Wizards, Monumental Sports and Ted Leonsis, in case you missed the official news of what was long rumored from yesterday, Monumental is opening up, partnering with William Hill, which is a sports book, to open up the first ever in-arena sports book in a professional sports arena in the U.S. Uh, William Hill is mostly a British uh, sports booking company. There are tons of William Hill sports books in especially London, but all around Great Britain. Uh, and they're partnering with Monumental to bring it over. Obviously, this has been long rumored. Ted Leonsis is, has, has been, of all the chairmen in the NBA, I think it's fair to say that Ted Leonsis has been the most outwardly outspoken since the legality of sports betting was turned back to the states and many, many states started legalizing sports gambling. Obviously, D.C. has legalized sports gambling as well in the last year and a half or so. And this is really fascinating, having a sports book in the arena. I, I sat down with Leonsis yesterday and he was he gave me 20 minutes of his time and we, we talked on the record for about 20 minutes. And I asked him questions about this and address the things that could be curious about it and the things that I think are interesting. I think this story is fascinating. Um, I know you saw the story and you can go on the athletic and go on the athletic and read that if you're a listener and you haven't checked it out. I do think it's worth reading if you're interested in sports business. Like Ted Leonsis is kind of leading the charge in something that is this, you might, I, I understand if people don't, don't like bringing gambling this close to sports, but this is not going away tomorrow. This is going to happen. And if you're interested in sports business, whether you agree or disagree with this, and I think there are legitimate points on, on either side, it's worth following this. And this is, I think, a really interesting story. What's your first reaction when when you hear a sports book in an NBA and an NHL arena? Yeah, my first reaction was that uh, Ted is one of the more creative owners realistically in sports i think uh you know you just have to look at what he's doing with the wizards not only with this uh you know casino essentially or sports book i'm sorry in the arena but also just in the way they've restructured their organization uh he's willing to look outside of the box hiring someone like sashi brown like there's just there's a lot to take away from the way that ted leonsis looks at sports and looks at uh, trying to innovate new ideas that I think is really commendable. Now, like, I don't love a lot of what he does. Like, I still have some pretty real questions about the Wizards, like, front office structure. But uh, nonetheless, like, I think this is cool. I think that uh, at the end of the day, if you're hiding from gambling, it's a mistake. Uh, obviously, uh, what is it, the PASPA was... Uh, revoked or, or whatever the hell the legal term is for that overturned. Yeah, pass, last year. The, yeah, PASPA was was overturned. Yeah, and uh, it was overturned last year, and I think that because of that, we're going to see pas, the PASPA, floodgates open. By the way, PASPA, by the way, because I don't expect people to know what PASPA is, was the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which I believe was passed in 1992. And basically banned sports betting at a federal level. About a year and a half yeah, ago, that was overturned and the legality was – you know, whether or not sports betting can be legal was turned back to the states. Many states have started to legalize it. Yeah, and 
like because that has been overturned, I think that you're always going to see some of the more progressive states or in DC's uh, situation. Is it municipality? Like, what do we what do we call DC district? I guess because it's District of Columbia. Um, the more progressive areas are always going to be out front on these things. And once the floodgates open there, uh, realistically, the more and I don't mean like progressive and conservative when I say these words like in political terms, but I just mean in terms of the way that they uh, tend to pass legislation. But the conservative uh, states in terms of uh, legislation are going to be left behind at the end of the day here. So uh, I think that it's really important that uh, someone like Ted Leonsis, someone like the Wizards are out front on this. And the NBA as a whole is out front on this because otherwise I think you're just passing up revenue streams. And that's just not something that you want a professional sports organization to do. Yeah, the thing that's going to be interesting is because there's still so much that needs to be solved. The city, I mean, they... What it, the really the way to phrase this is the plan is to open up a sports book, right? Because the city still needs to lay out what all the regulations are for this. This has never happened in in the U.S. So this is going to be a long process, and I don't think it's just going to be like turned around. And it's supposed to open at some point in 2020, but like that's what they say. It's supposed to open at some point in 2020. The city has to lay out the regulations. You know, Monumental needs to work with the NBA to create a policy to where the NBA is comfortable with it. And I think the NBA will have a policy that they are comfortable with it because the NBA has gotten out in front of the gambling stuff too. But they need to figure this out because you can't have people who work for the team walking in there and using inside information to bet. You can't have the sports book being biased towards a team because it pays a lease to them. Now – Ted Leonsis says that he will not touch the money. He repeated that to me more than one time during our conversation. I asked it to him in a couple of different ways, and he repeated to me he will not touch the money. And so I asked him what his financial incentive is to do this then. If you're not touching the money, if you're not getting a commission off of this, you know, certain leases, you know, even if you're just taking it off of – even if it's a McDonald's franchise or a Dunkin' Donuts – you might take a commission off of their revenue, right? That he insists that is that is not the case. I asked him about food and alcohol commission, you know, commission off of food and alcohol sales. I asked him about commission off of sports betting sales, and he says he does not touch that money. That all goes to William Hill. The relationship that he has with them is he's providing them with the real estate. He's the landlord. They are paying the lease, and he believes the. So I asked him, what's the financial incentive then? What's the difference between just putting a McDonald's there? The lease costs this much money. The real estate costs this much money. What do you care if it's a sports book or if it's a McDonald's or if it's a Best Buy, right? I mean, so he said to me he believes the way that he will benefit from this in a financial way because obviously Ted Ted talks about the taxes and he talks about – and when he says the taxes, he's talking about when sports betting is legal, if you make a bet – if you make a bet in illegal sports betting and you win $10,000, you take home $10,000. If you make a bet in legal sports betting and you win $10,000, you're paying taxes on those $10,000. And that's what he means when he talks about taxes. And he talks about that a lot and what it can do for the community, what it can do for the local governments and all that kind of stuff. Ted is a businessman. He's going to do yeah, this because he wants say, to make like, money. 
Uh, Ted, and he believes, <laughs> Ted can Ted can talk about that, yep. but like I do think that at the end of the day, he yep. probably thinks that there's going to be some sort of incentive in regard to like uh, attendance or. Well, he believes uh, it's going to keep people in the arena. He right. believes that like in-game prop betting that if the Wizards are down 17 points at halftime and third quarter is when a lot of people start to clear out that. There are going to be people who say, let's check what the second half line is. And if the second half line is like, you know, Wizards, you know, the Wizards plus 21, uh, then somebody can place that bet. And now all of a sudden that person is really into it in the second half. One of the things I'm so curious about, though, is if this is going to affect the crowd environment. Like imagine a dude is sitting behind the Wizards bench and he bet on Bradley Beal, that Bradley Beal would score over 25 and a half points. Somebody wrote this in the comments, and I had thought about it, and it's a great point. Imagine someone sitting behind the Wizards bench. He bet that over Bra- Bradley Beal will score over 25 and a half points before the game. Bradley Beal is sitting on 25 points, but the Wizards are up big, and so Scott Brooks pulls him out with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter like any coach would do in that situation. And that dude is just going to start heckling Scott Brooks because of a totally normal basketball situation. It's just going to be a – I shouldn't say it's going to be because no one knows. But it could create these very weird and different and unmatched uh, crowd environment things, you know? I think – I do understand what you're saying, but I think that most people that bet uh, are already doing so. Uh, you know, it does make it easier, certainly to do it at the arena and you certainly get the instant gratification of being able to get paid immediately. Um, but I do think that like from a fan perspective, if someone's going to bet over 25 and a half points on Bradley Beal, they're probably going to be doing that regardless of whether or not the casino is at the arena. You like, know, like, I don't, if they I don't are, agree. Like, yeah. Like, I don't I agree. Think that it's going to happen. I actually don't agree with you. I think I think the point of this I think that's probably true. Let's say and I'm making up this date. I have no idea if it's gonna be open at this time. Let's say that it's open for the start of next season. So the Wizards sure. play their first game in October of twenty twenty and that's the first day that it's open, right? In October of twenty twenty, you're probably right. Like most people who are gonna bet on that are gonna be the same people who would have done it even when it was illegal. But the whole point of this thing is to remove the stigma, right? That's like what the Wizards are actively trying to do. And I shouldn't say the Wizards. That's what Ted Leonsis and Monumental and obviously William Hill are actively trying to do. And and I'm sure they are going to market this. And Ted, even in my conversation with him that I put in this piece, the way that he marketed this thing is this isn't gambling. He said he hates the word betting because he thinks betting is rolling the dice. It's playing craps or it's playing blackjack when there's no actual skill. To him, he likened this more to the stock market, to where there are regulations and there's public information and you can make an informed decision on what you believe is going to happen and then make your guesses on that and you win money or you lose money, but you're making an informed decision and there's strategy and there's numbers and there's studying involved as opposed to just, all right, I got a 48% chance of winning and I need to roll a six. Uh, and that's and that's it. And and. And he's trying to remove that stigma from it. And if they're successful in doing so, seven years down the line or four years down the line or 12 years down the line, I don't know the number, their hope is that more people are doing this, that it's it, that they're going to open up 
new betters. And we haven't even gotten to the, we haven't even touched on like, is that a good thing if you're opening up new betters and and spreading this more? Uh, But like, I think the point is that it's not, he doesn't believe it's going to be a niche market. He believes it's something that's really going to be attractive to a lot of different kinds of people of age. Well, I, I, I don't think it's a niche market as it is now, though, at the end of the day. Like, I, I think a large uh, amount of people already betting. Like, I think that, I, I mean, there are numbers out there that say, like, there's $100 billion bet every year, uh, you know, throughout the United States on certain sporting events, right? So, like, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with... Uh, I struggle with that a little bit uh, in terms of him believing that it's really maybe it will maybe it will end up like really uh, making it so betting is you know everywhere and is uh, all across the sport. But I, I think that people that want to bet that, that it's very easy to place a bet on the internet right now. <laughs> like we we have a we have so, stuff at the tips of our fingertips now. Uh, that make this very simple, and I just, uh, I don't know. I'll be interested to see how this goes. I do think that uh, Ted is on the right track in terms of trying to destigmatize it, though. I think that there's no reason for there to be a stigma about, uh, I'm going to call it sports betting. I understand that Ted might not like that terminology. I mean, it's the term. um, I get his point, but it's the term. I don't know what else you're going to call it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be um, a negative term, I don't think, either. Uh, It doesn't have to be a circumstance where uh, betting is a term that is wrong. Like, I actually don't think of betting as a bad term. Like, is that something that you think of as having a negative connotation? I think of it as being taboo. Even though, like, when I go to – I mean, I'm not really a gambler. When I go to Vegas for Summer League – I'll play blackjack a few times, but I, I won't do high stakes stuff. And it it's it's a thing that is fun. That like it's fun for me to do it with friends and sit down and like just kind of have a fun social time for a little while right. and 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 lose some money and that's it. But it's not like a thing that I really enjoy doing. I I, I understand why sports betting can be fun, and I used to do that before I started covering the NBA at a high level. I would bet on sports every once in a while. Um, and I get that. I get that. Every once in a while when I'm in Vegas, I'll throw something down on a Yankee game, just like 40 bucks down on a Yankee game, just for fun. And, like, honestly, the reason why I think that it could bring other people in is because I think I'm kind of the clientele that I'm talking about here. Like, I would yeah, never, I think that's reasonable. I would never go to – and I would never bet on a basketball game because I don't think that's right for a beat reporter to do. Uh, but I, uh, you know, baseball game. I have nothing to do with baseball in terms of, like, my sure. job or anything. If I'm going to a Yankees game, let's say, and I would never, ever think, all right, I'm going to find a betting website or I'm going to find a, a a bookie who's going to take this bet and I'm um, going to place a – X dollar bet on the Yankees because I'm going to the game and I'll make it fun. But if there were a sports book right there in Yankee Stadium, I'd be like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a fun bet. Aaron Judge. Yeah, let's bet Aaron Judge hits a home run today. That'd be fun, and I'll do that. 
And, like, I could see myself doing that if it were right there, just as, like, a fun <laughs> throwaway thing to do. But I would never, ever in a million years go out of my way to – I wouldn't even think – I until this moment, I've never even thought to do that if I'm attending a baseball game. And I just imagine there are other people like me who would do that. That's interesting. That is really interesting. You're an old soul, Fred. <laughs> No, you, I, those, I guess I am because I, with their phones, yeah. just having everything at the tips <laughs> of their fingernails. Plays in bets. Plays in bets. I'll tell you what. One thing that I, I don't I think is a problem. You opened on millennials. Uh, th- I love that you opened the podcast on millennials, and now we've gone to this road. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I don't think is a problem, and then I want to talk about your your story from today for a couple minutes before we go. Um, I know it will be a common talking point now that sports betting is becoming so much more, as Ted put it, in the light. And I know this; it will be a common talking point. Someone's going to, at any point, someone could bring up, like, the 1919 Black Sox. Well, what ha- now you're even more likely to have an issue with a player, with an organization, fixing games, shaving points, all that kind of stuff. You know what? I actually completely disagree. I think it's literally the exact opposite. I think when you have a a black market in which tens of billions of dollars are being exchanged on an annual basis or whatever it is in terms of just illegal sports betting now, that's when you're more likely to get it. This stuff's being regulated. If Scott Brooks walks into a sports book, then guess what? There's a paper trail. Someone's going to be like, well, Scott Brooks bet on the Washington Wizards. And then he's screwed. It's all there. They got his credit card information or his checking account number and his ID or whatever the heck it is. Like, there's a paper trail. It is, it's regulated. It's, 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 that's the whole point of this. The same way that, like, insider trading is regulated. Think about how much more difficult it would be to police insider trading if the stock market to begin with was illegal. And so I think this will actually make it significantly less likely, not that it's a thing that happens very often at all. It's not like, you know, honestly, the number one story I've always wanted to do, oh, you know what? I should do this story. I've always wanted to do a story on the the city college fix in like 1951 fascinating only team ever to win the ncaa title and the nit in the same year and like all their dudes got kicked out of college for fixing games incredible story but well you should definitely do that but the more modern example is earlier this year um you know me being me massive australian football fan there was a player for collingwood his name is Jaden stevenson he won the equivalent of the rookie of the year over there last year he was placing these like very 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 small wagers on himself to like perform during these games like he's placing like literally $1 bets on himself to perform during games. He was found and was suspended for half the season for what ended up being a 30, I think it was like a total of $33 that were bet. And he was suspended for half the season without pay. Like it's going to be a lot easier. I think is my point to be able to get these guys out in the light, basically that they are gambling on sports. Yeah, I think that's true. Let's 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 talk about this story because I know you've only got about five more minutes, and I want to talk about this. You did a story 
which is a series that you're working on now. Let me actually call it up real quick. Just uh, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you are ranking everybody based on just the young pieces that they have, and the Wizards did not fare great. I'm going to let you choose your own adventure. You had the Wizards 27th out of 30. You talked about Rui Hachimura. It's an extremely detailed and thorough article. I'm shocked that you would write something extremely detailed and thorough. Um, let's. Uh, who do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about from this? What is the best point that you can bring up from this piece? Talked about Schofield and Troy Brown and Bonga and and the whole crew. So yeah, there there were a few different things that came up during the process of doing this. So like to do something of this. Uh, just large scale, basically. Uh, I've talked to well over 25 executives across the NBA just to get a feel of where guys are, uh, like on teams, on players, you know, everything like that. I talked to college coaches. Like, I, I really went all across the uh, uh, all across the basketball environment to really try and do as much research as I could. And then obviously you watch tape, you watch film. Um, you, you've seen these guys live for so many years at this stage in my case. Like I've been watching Troy Brown play basketball from the time he was like 16 years old. Um, and you have opinions on them and you talk to executives and they have opinions on them. The, the Wizards in general, I will say, uh Executives had them no higher than 22nd, I think, was the highest person I talked to. They said, like, yeah, 22 was, uh, you know, that, that was someone that really liked Rui. That was like, yeah, like, they had some upside. They have some uh, potential to have, like, a long-term, like, scoring starter in Rui. But 27th was basically about where it was. Like, no one had them last because Houston just has nobody uh, other than, like, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, you know, Couple people did have Golden State ahead of them. Couple people did have. Um, I had twenty eight. Uh, who did I have twenty eight? Milwaukee. Couple people definitely had Milwaukee ahead of them. I would say like them. Milwaukee were like neck and neck basically. Uh, and then the Lakers. Everyone was just like, yeah, we'd probably rather have Kyle Kuzma than everyone on the Wizards roster. And with the Clippers, they just bought the depth a little bit more. So. It was interesting to kind of just reach across the aisle and kind of get an opinion on just where these Wizards guys are. And I think that it goes to show how difficult a job Tommy Shepard has right now because uh, this is a team that for years under Ernie Grunfeld traded away its first-round pick and uh, just didn't have this depth of quality young players uh, to surround John Wall and Bradley Beal. And I think that with Wall out now, we're really seeing the difficulties of that. Uh, this is a team that it's like, it's really hard to figure out who their third best player is. I think it's hard to like, like you could make a case that Thomas Bryant might not be their second best player. Like it, Thomas Bryant's probably their second best guy, but it, it's just a, it's a very bereft roster and situation right now that is, it's tough, I think. It's really, really tough. Go read Sam's piece. It is very good, as always. Sam is, in my opinion, and I don't just say this because he's my colleague. I, I said it before he was my colleague, before either of us worked at The Athletic. I think you're the best 
draft guy slash young guy, like young players guy of anybody in the industry. So read Sam's stuff. It's awesome. Read the story if you're a Wizards fan. It's really good, really thorough, really interesting. Lots of great points on Schofield and the organizational direction and Tommy Shepard's uh, propensity for liking guys who spent four years in college and helped building up organizations, uh, which is something they're going to have to do in Washington. I thought that was a really cogent point. Uh, Sam, anything else to plug before we go? Well, I guess I do just have one more question Yeah, uh, for you. I mean, like, like I've had a few people that are Wizards fans like yell at me for saying, like, look, like the Bradley Beal stuff is not going away, right? Like at some point – Bradley Beal's going to have to make a decision on if he's going to sign this extension and the Wizards are going to have to make a decision if he doesn't sign the extension. I mean, like, where do you fall on this? Like, I think it's really, really hard to not uh, seriously consider moving Bradley Beal if he decides, no, I'm not signing this deal. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really hard to do if he if he says no on this deal. That being said... I don't think they should be in as much of a rush to trade him as I think the average person believes they should. Uh, just because my personal belief, if you look, if this were a normal upcoming summer, then I would slant more towards what popular belief is, which is, oh, Brad turned down the extension. If he turns it down, he's got two years left on his deal. Trade him when he's got two years left on his deal. This is a lost year anyway. You're probably not going to be very good in 2020-21 either. Even if John Wall comes back and is like 80% of what he used to be, you're still probably not going to be very good, and you're going to have still kind of a dirtied-up cap sheet because of those two guys taking up so much of your cap. I, I understand that. But I think this year is a little bit different. The circumstances of this year are a little bit different. And the reasoning is because next year's free agency class is weak as hell. And because next right. year's free agency class is so weak, if you're going to trade Bradley Beal at any point between the trade deadline in February or the end of next summer, you let him play out this whole season here, he could be the best player to change teams over that six, eight-month period of, of the NBA schedule. And if he is the Do best player to change teams – I think you can still get a ginormous haul from him and I, for him, and I think you can get a greater haul by just letting teams compete against themselves. And you know what? You might be able to get a better haul if you wait until next summer and you don't have to deal with matching salaries and complicating things, and you can just trade somebody, trade them potentially into space and not have to deal with that kind of stuff, and then maybe you can get back more picks or things like that. So... If the Wizards believe that that is a possibility, and the Wizards, I say this every time, Tommy Shepard says publicly that he has no interest in trading Badly Beal. He wants him to play yeah. with the Wizards until the year 2,782. And Tommy Shepard says privately the exact same thing. And when teams call Tommy Shepard about wanting Bradley Beal, Tommy Shepard tells them the exact same thing. So, like, he's not BSing. Like, that's that's how the organization has operated if they wanted to trade Bradley Beal, you know the best way to do it? Tell everybody you don't want to trade Bradley Beal because it kind of hurts your leverage when you don't. I, I think that if they decide to trade Bradley Beal down the line, they can still get a crap ton for him. Like I would not worry about his value down the line. So I don't think they need to be in a rush. And I understand so, if you do want to keep him, even though I wouldn't necessarily do it uh, just because – 
you've seen what what Beal and Wall can do. Wall is untradeable until he comes back and he's healthy. Like even if well he comes back and he's healthy, it's like peak Wall and almost peak Beal were like a 49 win team that lost in the second round. The guys around them aren't going to be as good unless Rui ends up becoming awesome, which I guess is like there's a greater than zero percent chance, but certainly less than 50. So like. I get it. Trade Beal, get the young players, start over. You want to cast a wide net, get a bunch of good young players and see what you can do. And if Beal walks in two years, you're totally screwed. Uh, But I just don't think you need to do it right now. I don't think you need to be in a rush yet. So I generally agree that you don't need to be in a rush, I would say. Um, What I would say is that in the same way that Bradley Beal might be the best player to change hands, uh, you know, between the trade deadline and July next year, uh, if they end up going down that route, I think there's also a very real chance that, like, teams decide right now we are in a situation where the NBA champion or the favorite to win the NBA title is very, very, very wide open. And the ability to lock in Bradley Beal, not just for this year, but for next year as well, and the playoff runs that ensue, uh, is too much to pass up. You're basically weighing, if you're an opposing team, you're basically weighing uh, scarcity, or if you're Tommy Shepard as well, you're basically weighing scarcity of talent on the market next summer versus the ability to have a player for two uh, playoff runs that are in the middle of a wide-open NBA, you know, picture right now, right? So I think that it's it's not an enviable position for Tommy Shepard. Like, it's, a, it's actually really difficult, I think, for him to try and figure out once they decide or to go down this road or once they uh, get indication from Beal that he is not signing this extension for whatever reason and have to at least take calls on Beal... I think that what becomes very, very difficult is deciding when the peak of Bradley Beal's value is. Is it before the deadline, whenever teams can get two runs, or is it at the uh, you know July 1st, July 15th, whenever, whenever there's just a total scarcity of options out there and teams scramble? It's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, anything else to plug? I no, just go to this project, go to the Game Theory podcast. Um, I'm doing NBA win total over unders. We talked about that uh, with uh, Robbie Calland. We talked about gambling earlier today on this podcast, and uh, you know that's what Robbie and I talk about uh, on these next two podcasts this week or the last two podcasts this week. So go check that out. Great, go listen to that. Before we sign off, just one quick thing. Shout out to all the Sports Illustrated people, man. Like Yeah, no, of course. It's terrible. What, it's absolutely awful. What a crappy week. I grew up my dream job for like the vast majority of my childhood was I wanted to write for Sports Illustrated. And my dream job for the vast majority of my adult life was I wanted to write for Sports Illustrated. That was what I always wanted to do. I wanted to be a feature writer for Sports Illustrated. I collected Sports Illustrated when I was a kid every single week. There are I, I still have hundreds upon hundreds of Sports Illustrated that's spanning from like 1999 or 2000 to about 2010 just because I thought like the Zach Green Key 2006 edition from when he won the Cy Young was going to be super valuable or the 
whatever else, and I just kept all of them, and I thought they were so cool. I want to be go back and read them, and it's just it made the industry. It changed the industry forever. It's very sad all the layoffs that are there. It's very sad the direction that the organization is going in. Um, so many great people out of jobs right now, and that just sucks. So shout out to them and to Jake Fisher and Andrew Sharp specifically just because I know them personally and I read their work all the time because they do MBA stuff, and they're freaking great. Uh, and I'm sure uh, they will be doing great things somewhere else. But the whole thing – from from this week it just sucks it sucks yeah um, you know it's it's funny like i i don't have that personal connection that a lot of people do with sports illustrated like within our industry right so what frustrates me is just the people right like the fact that uh this company decided to uh, basically string people along for a day because they canceled a meeting and then ended up letting people go, uh, like in a conference room, essentially, it sounds like. Uh, it, it's just, it's terrible. It's a terrible way to treat people. Uh, it's a terrible way to treat people that, like, I know many of them, like you do. Uh, and it, it angers me, the business plan that these uh, fucking idiots that are running this show uh, are going to, try and utilize is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's been proven not to work. This, you know, the guy ran scout.com into the ground. Uh, you know, the Los Angeles times ended up having to get rid of another guy that was there because of, uh, some issues we will say that I'm not entirely familiar upon commenting on. So I'm not going to go there, but like, it's just, it's insane to me that, you're running a business, you decide to go down this road of buying this brand and your first move is to demolish all of the brand equity that the brand has. Uh, it's just such a, it's, it, if it didn't involve people that I are just like human beings in general, it would be funny how terrible this company is running. But because it involves people losing their jobs, it's like actually just tragic and terrible. Uh, it's it's just unbelievable and the most disheartening, but also uh, callous and incredibly stupid decision I think I've seen in the sports media space in a while. Well, subscribe to stuff, read stuff, support journalism. It's important. Subscribe to The Athletic. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. I'll be back next week. Samuel, always appreciated. I'm glad you yeah, came Yeah, of course, on. Fred. I will talk to you guys when I'm back next week. Bye.